God. The Lord has called this church to have a place of authority and responsibility in our region. He's called us to be a voice uh, from the Lord to our community, not just in in so far as it relates to the pastor or to the elders, but the membership of this congregation. Uh, all of us here have a responsibility before God for the Coastal Bend region, and uh, in particular for our city. These are times which demand a church that is alive, a church that is on a war footing, a church that knows its place. And as we have heard this weekend mentioned a few times, this generation and this day in which we live demands a church that knows the times in which it is living and that knows its geography. You and I may not be responsible for what goes on in North Texas or deep South Texas in the valley. Uh, We may not be responsible for what goes on in West Texas, but God has given to us the responsibility and authority for what goes on in the Coastal Bend region. Say amen, somebody. And the sooner that we walk in that and understand that, the greater that we'll be able to walk in of the fullness of what that means. I myself am uh, just learning to to appreciate what that means in my own life and ministry and in the life of this church. And so tonight I want to speak to you not as average, everyday, uh, go-easy believers, but rather men and women who God has commissioned for a specific responsibility in this region. Uh, that he has called us as a church to hold up the banner of God's truth, to hold up the banner of God's word, to speak in a prophetic and apostolic authority for this region. And until we come to recognize what we are, we will not be able to do what we are. We have to come to know our identity before we can know our function. And so if I can tonight, I want your permission to speak to you on a level of maturity. Is that all right? Now, this is not going to be uh, for first grade Sunday school. I want to speak to the mature believer tonight. And I want to speak to uh, this congregation in particular and those of you who are here, not by accident, but by God's choice. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians And uh, unfortunately for Paul, on both occasions when he writes to the Corinthians, he has to defend his ministry. He has to defend the reason why he is given authority and responsibility to speak as he does. Uh, The Corinthian church was a church that gave Paul a great deal of problems. And in a certain sense, I'm glad that they did because a lot of the issues that are Uh, important for our time and in our generation were raised by the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church had issues of immorality and impurity within the body. And so uh, Paul addresses those things. And if if they had been a, a different church, we might have missed out on some of the great insight of the word of God on those topics for the new covenant church. And so it is a good thing at least that Paul addresses them 
although they were a problem church for some period of time. He writes to them in chapter 4 as part of his defense. And he speaks from his heart about what it means to be in the ministry. What does it mean to be uh, a vessel that God uses specifically for the preaching of the gospel or the carrying out of kingdom business? That is an important question for every person in here tonight. I think that many times people think that being in the ministry means that you wear a suit and tie or you wear a clerical collar or you have a title or a badge or responsibility or maybe you have a credential uh, card in your, in your wallet that you can show people and say, look, I'm in the ministry. But the fact is that none of those things make a ministry. Say amen, somebody. None of those things make a man or a woman useful to God. You can have all of the external things that go along with being in the ministry, and they don't make you a minister. In fact, you can live in a parsonage and not be a pastor. Just like you can sleep in a garage and not be a car. There is more to be in the ministry than just having the title. And unfortunately, most of the time, what people most want is the title. And I think it's because people think that if I get a title, I'm going to get a ministry. If I get a title, I'm going to get an anointing. If I get a title, if I get a credential, if I get a, a name over my, uh, a, 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 a position over my name, then I'm going to get some kind of power. But friends, titles don't make ministers. Ministers make titles. I have known people who had titles and had no authority, no power, no influence, nobody following them. All they have is a title. And then I have known people who have no title, they have no position, and yet they are leading and doing great things for the kingdom of God. So don't think ever that being in the ministry is titles and wardrobe and collars and positions and having an office and, and, and doing all of those things that you associate with that. It has nothing to do with any of that. What makes you a minister is the call of God upon your life. What makes you a minister is the fact that God has chosen you, that God has set his hand upon you. And then, friends, it is once we have received that call of God, that what makes you powerful as a minister is the anointing of God on the call that he has placed in your life. Uh, are you with me tonight? Are you following along? It is God's anointing on your life that makes the title or the function a possibility in your life. And so what you and I most need from God, if we have discerned that God has called us, and tonight the calling begins simply like this. If he's called you to be a member of this church, that's a call from God, and it requires an anointing 
from God. And maybe you go a little further up and you have been called to serve in some capacity in this church, whether it be in the, uh, in, in the, uh, as a deacon or an usher or being part of the uh, leadership team or the worship team or in, in Christian education or being a part of a small group leadership. Wherever it is that you have been called to serve, you need the anointing of the Spirit of God to carry out that task. Listen, friends. Listen, this is a real simple principle here. If you are called by God and anointed by God, you will be able to handle whatever function God puts on you. If you are not called by God and not anointed by God, you won't be able to handle the smallest function that anybody puts on you. I have seen people drown in half a cup of water because they didn't have an anointing and they didn't have a calling. And yet I have seen other people swim without floaties, without a life raft in the deepest part of the ocean because they had a calling and an anointing from God. That is what makes the difference in your life. Say amen, somebody. You see, being a member of a church, being a part of the body, is not just plug and play. There is a role that comes with it. There is a responsibility that comes with it. To be called to a church, to be called to a body, means that you are called to work, to make that body work, to be functional. If God has called you to be a part of the body of Kingsway Church, then the role of that, the, the part of that is for you to, to discover and discern, God, what do I do here? What is my place? It means we're called to pray. It means we're, ta- we're called to give. It means we're called to protect the unity of the body. And if somebody starts talking about your church or talking about your fellow brethren in the church, you don't say, yeah, I know. I thought the same thing. But instead, you protect the fellowship of the body because you have been called by God to do that. And every every layer up above that requires God's anointing on your life. So Paul says this, since we have received this ministry, I want you to say this with me, since I have received a ministry, our core values at the church, there's five of them, everyone is loved, everyone is valuable, everyone can, everyone can be blessed. Everyone can live in victory, and everyone has a ministry. Say it again. Since I have this ministry. Now, Paul doesn't say, if you have this ministry. But he says, since you have this ministry. See, a lot of you are waiting for your day, for your moment. Waiting for your chance. Listen, you gotta operate and function where you are with what you've been given. Since we have this ministry, uh, this is a, the reason. This is one of my favorite chapters in in my ministry life. Is because many times when I have been discouraged in the ministry, I have come to this chapter 
of the word of God. And you say, Pastor Isaac, you don't look like one who's been discouraged in the ministry. Why? Because I smile all the time? Well, that's because I don't wear discouragement on my sleeve and I don't let it leave my prayer closet. <laughs> but from time to time, there have been moments when I have come to this chapter and I have looked at this chapter and said, since I have this ministry, why does that mean so much to me? Because this is what it means to me. I didn't choose this ministry. God chose this ministry. I didn't call myself. God called me. I didn't say, me, 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 use me. No, instead, he set his hand upon me. I was minding my own business, and he called me into the ministry. So I come to him, and I say, Lord, I didn't do this. You did this since I have this ministry that you place upon me. Like Elisha, when he was plowing behind 12 oxen, and Elijah just came and threw a mantle on him. He had no, he had not run a campaign. He had not chosen the position. He just got it. And so, since I have this ministry, it implies that this was an external work. God did this. Listen, friends, you can't call yourself. Your mama can't call you. Your daddy can't call you. God alone can call you. Since you have what God has called you to do, then he says, we have received mercy. We have received grace. What does that mean? I want you to say this with me. Since I have this ministry, I have received grace. Listen, God has given you the measure of grace needed for the level of ministry that he's given you. Whatever level he's given you, he's given you grace for that. And if you ever find yourself stressing out, because you're walking outside of the grace he gave you. If you ever find yourself drowning in half a cup of water, you might be outside of the grace he gave you. Go back to the grace he gave you. Operate in the place of his grace. You know, I watched the staff here at Kingsway operate and work miracles almost every week with staff, with volunteers, getting things done, incidentals that come up and I watch them and they operate with a smile on their face and they're getting the job done and they're cool and collected on the inside they might have a different story going on but on the outside they're operating in the grace of God they're operating in the power of the spirit so when you come along you say man I really want that job watch it watch it because you don't know. You don't know what it's like when it's two minutes to ten and there's 15 kids and staff didn't show up. And you got to figure out what are we going to do now. Say amen, somebody. Oh, I just want that job. Because, because all we see about it is, there is the moment at the beginning of the year when we prayed for them. And we anointed them with oil. And we think, I want that. I like that. Come up here. I'll anoint you with oil right now. 
But that's not the ministry. A lot of people go to our national conventions and they see, they see the people up on the stage and say, I want that. I want to be up there. But you don't realize that up there or, or whatever it is you have your eye on, there's a whole world of responsibility behind it. And there's devils to fight. And that, that by just, listen, you, don't have, you have to understand this. By just signing up to serve, you're signing up for battle. If you don't want to have problems, don't go and do the ministry. If you want the devil to leave you alone, stay out of the ministry. Go work at Walmart or H-E-B or something else. Go and sell insurance door to door. But if, if you sign up to serve God, you're going to need his grace. You're going to need his grace. And for those of us who've been in the ministry a while, we know what it means when we sing amazing grace. Because we understand, first of all, grace is amazing because God is using me even though I wasn't qualified to be used. That God was using me even though I don't, if you knew what I have been through or what I've done, you wouldn't have put me in this position. Come on, somebody. That's why we know it's amazing grace because if you knew me the way God knows me, you wouldn't have chosen me. But God's grace chose me and he used me and he put me in that place. And so we say amazing grace because we know where God brought us from. It's also amazing because we know that it is the help of God, divine help for every trial, for every need. Since we have this ministry, we have received Grace. Have you received grace? Look, I, you, you don't have to say amen, but I know you have. Because I have seen you. I'm looking at you right now. You don't have death on your face. You don't have lemon, a lemon look on your face. I know you've received grace. I know you've received grace because you see, if other people had to deal with what you had to deal with, they would have quit. But you didn't quit. You didn't give up. You're still in the house of God. You're still in the faith. You're still faithful because God has given you his grace. God has given you his grace. And John Newton knew what he was talking about when he said, Grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. What God began in my life by grace, God will finish in my life by grace. So that when I get to heaven, I won't stand there and say, oh, Lord, you know how good I was. No, I'm going to say amazing grace. How sweet the sound that used a wretch like me. It was the grace of God that brought me across the finish line. Made it possible for me to do this work. And then he says, since we have this ministry, we have received grace. Say it with me, I will not lose heart. Now, see, these are the things that Paul can say. Paul is saying this while defending himself. Why should the Apostle Paul, he wrote almost half of the New Testament. You know how, how ugly 
Christian can be? Not you guys. You guys are, you guys are beautiful. But some Christians can be downright ugly. Now, Paul wrote half of the New Testament. And the people who haven't written a single word of the New Testament are telling him that he doesn't have the right to speak to them. The man who planted the churches of Asia Minor is having to explain to them why he's their father and not somebody else. Sometimes church people just lose their mind. And they forget who their father is. They forget who the spiritual authority is in their life. And this is why you have to, if you're in the ministry, you have to have the grace of God so that you don't lose heart. Because a lot of times we go into the ministry and we think, oh, this is going to be so great. I'm going to be, oh, I'm going to be working with the sheep. But you realize that sheep are dirty and messy. And sometimes sheep will bite you. And you have to love the sheep. Come on. I say you have to love the sheep. Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. And so it gets easy to lose heart because when you, when you started out, you were serving the Lord. But slowly what happens is people in ministry start serving people. And when you start serving people, you start to lose heart because people are ungrateful. People forget. People are People are mean sometimes. People sometimes will tell you what they're thinking, and it's just because they're having a bad day, but they'll just unload on you. And all of these things happen every single moment in the ministry, whether you're the pastor or the, or the, uh, the usher at the door or you're leading a small group. People are people. And guess what? People are people in church. Say amen, somebody. You say, Pastor, I don't know if to say amen or not because I feel like you're talking about me and you're talking to me at the same time. I really don't know how to feel about this. I'm just telling you how it is. And so because Paul has to defend himself, he shouldn't have to defend himself. A father shouldn't have to say to his children, I'm your father. This is Paul saying to them, because I said so. And he's having to defend him, his ministry to them. And the same thing happened to Moses. You know, the Bible said that the people came to Moses and they said, we want the same rights that you have. We want to have the same access that the Levites have to the, to the presence of God. And they rebelled against Moses. And you got to know this about Moses. Moses must have been thinking, wait a minute. I told God not to give me this job. I told God I didn't want this. And you know, when you read the fourth chapter of Exodus, he says no to God four times, and he still goes into ministry. He never said yes to God, and yet he was in the ministry. 
Come on now. God always gets his man. You can say no all you want, but when you wake up, you're going to be in the ministry. He's saying, look, I said no to God, and now you're going to tell me that you want the job that God gave me? Come on, somebody. you got to get righteous sometime and just realize that what God gave you, God gave it to you, and he would have given it to somebody else if he wanted, but he chose you. Come on, somebody. He chose you, and he uses you. He's using you. Don't be too quick. Listen, listen. Don't be too quick to give your ministry away. Because look, when 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 God calls us, we get our we get our ministry papers. It's like it's like a like a newborn baby. Look what He called me. Look what He called me to do. But then, as soon as opposition comes. I don't want that anymore. And let me just tell you, be careful with that. Because God doesn't hand out callings every day. God doesn't go around giving commissions every day. If you get a commission, you better hold on to that thing. Whether hell and hot water come against you, you hold on to what God has called you to do because it didn't come from man. Listen, man didn't sign your commission. God signed your commission. And unless God takes it from you, hold on to that thing in Jesus' name because it didn't come from man. If man called you, man has to sustain you. And man can fire you. But if man didn't call you, if God called you, God will sustain you. And God alone will decide when your day is done. Somebody give praise to God for his faithfulness. And you know what happened to those people? One of them was Moses' sister. Rebelled against Moses. She was mad at him because he married a African woman. He married a black lady. And she was having a fit. And she was putting her foot down. You can't do this, Moses. You're embarrassing all of us. You're going and marrying outside of the Jewish race. And this is why you have to have God's grace. Because sometimes when you're in the ministry, people think they have the right to tell you who to marry and who not to marry and how to raise your kids and what they should wear and what they shouldn't wear. Come on, somebody. They think they have the right to tell you how to manage your house. I'm not getting any help tonight. They think they have the right to parent your children. And that's why it takes grace. That's why it takes grace, because sometimes when you're in the ministry, people think they have the right to tell you who you can and can't associate with and what you can and can't do. Moses was doing what he had the right to do. But people, because you serve the Lord, they think that you serve their interests. They think that you serve their purpose. Now, I'm not speaking on this level tonight because we have these issues here at Kingsway Church. By the grace of God, we have had a very 
successful leadership transition in this church. God has honored us as we walked in unity. But I am telling you that someday you're going to run into this stuff. And then you're going to remember what Pastor Isaac said. And you're going to need to remember, I will not lose heart. When I was about 16 years old, I preached a sermon. And there was an, uh, an elderly gentleman that was in the service that night. And he happened to be from this church. Um, I told you a good story this morning about Sister Stephanie and how she impacted my life into missions. This, this was another guy from this church had an opposite effect. Same church, same season, different people. I preached the sermon. I don't even know why he was there. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, an, uh, it was a youth service, I think. And he said, Afterward, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. I had so many things I wanted to tell him. I wanted to tell him, well, stand in line because there's probably a few more. Don't judge too quickly. You haven't heard all my material yet. That could have been a moment for me to say, you know what? I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to, you know, if I'm going to be getting this type of treatment from people who ought to know better. But, you know, you and I have to not lose heart. Remind yourself, it wasn't that guy that called me to preach. They're not the one that called me to preach. God called me to preach. God called me to lead. God called me to serve. God called me to do this work. And it's God who's going to sustain me by his grace. I will not lose heart. Listen, twice in the chapter, Paul says, I will not lose heart. First of all, he says it here in this first verse. But then he says it again. If you look quickly in verse 16, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Why don't we lose heart? Two reasons. God's grace and the renewing presence of the Holy Spirit within us. Listen, there's no reason for you to ever wake up one morning being the same guy you were when you went to bed. Because the Holy Spirit is renewing you every single day. Say amen, somebody. Paul says, we don't lose heart because although our outer man is decaying, our eyes aren't working as well as they used to. Our ears don't hear like they used to. Our knees squeak. We predict the weather. Our outer man is decaying. Teeth are coming out. Our hair is coming out. You young people think, what are you talking about? Give it some time. Gravity wins. Our outer man is decaying. But our inner man is growing 
stronger day by day. Did you hear me? I said the inner man is growing stronger day by day. Because every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus is greater than the day before. Sweeter intimacy, sweeter word, greater power. Come on, somebody. My outer man is decaying, but my inner man is leaping for joy. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And the Spirit of God dwells within. You guys might have seen the story of Benjamin Button. He was he was born old, you remember, and he grew young. That's what's happening in your spirit. You were born a little wrinkled up baby, but you're growing stronger every day. Power every day. When I was young, there was a music ministry that would sing. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. And I used to think, man, that is so over. How many overs you have to get? But you realize as you get older, it's like he just over and over. I keep falling in love with Jesus over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. Jesus doesn't get old. Jesus doesn't get stale. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before, greater than the day before, although the outer man is decaying. My inner man is growing stronger day by day. That's why I don't lose heart. Now, here's three things as I close, Brother Josh, would you come, that we have to renounce. We've made three confessions. I have a ministry. I've received grace, and I won't lose heart. But there's three things we have to renounce. And if you want to serve the Lord, you have to renounce some things. The first thing, verse 2 says, but we have renounced hidden things because of shame. You and I as ministers of the gospel have to renounce hidden shameful things. Secret sins. Shameful things that go on in the dark. That only God sees. Somebody said, Pastor, I have enough problems with public sin. Why you got to talk about private sin? That's what you have to renounce. I can't live in the dark. We didn't really renounce hidden things because of shame, and we don't walk in craftiness. We don't work 
team. We're not hustlers. Hustling people for their money or their affection. We renounce the scams of the world. You know, it's it's a tendency in ministry sometimes to get into schemes. And I've noticed maybe more now than ever that there is a tendency for the teachers and preachers when they have when they have revealed something, they think they've revealed something that no one has ever seen before in the Bible. Martin Luther didn't see it. John Calvin didn't see it. Paul didn't even see it. He wrote it. You know, they see stuff nobody ever saw. And then people are like, wow, tell me more. And now they got to go find a new thing that no one has ever seen. And it leads to deception because they just start inventing things. To impress people with complex and deep thoughts. And the further they go on that scheme, the further they get from the word of God. The further they get from the text of the scripture. And they have layers upon layers of human knowledge. You and I will do with the word. I said you and I will do with the word. Whatever they say about what we preach, let them say at Kingsway Church they preach the word. In Sunday school and Christian ed, they teach the word. In small group, they teach the word. In spark, they teach the word. In worship practice, they teach the word. Let us stick to the word. The word of God is not a scheme. It's not a scam. It is truth. It is power. And it is life. And then he says, we do not adulter the word of God. Now that word doesn't really explain in the English what it means in, in the Greek, but in the Greek sense it had this meaning, that there were people in those days who sold wine. And because wine was a common beverage of the time, and they had their barrels of wine. But particular people would take a half full barrel of wine and fill it with water. So they'd have a whole barrel of wine. But it was watered down. And this way they could generate more profits. Paul says we don't water down the word of God. We might chop it up into really small pieces, but we don't water it down. We don't Surgically remove offensive passages and refuse to discuss them. We do not adulter the word of God. We desire to do no violence to the scriptures. Sometimes the words of the text are hard. Because sometimes it addresses, listen, it, the word of God addresses real-life situations. 
And when God's word addresses my real life situation, I have the tendency to want to water it down. Make it more palatable. But we as ministers of the gospel cannot accommodate people's sins by watering down the word. So that if we teach the word of God, someday we're going to address things that are in people's lives. So long as we do it with love. And so long as we point to the cross of Jesus Christ as the solution and remedy for man's sin. And so long as there is grace in the prescription. We can be faithful to the word of God. We renounce those three things because Paul says we have received a ministry and we don't lose heart because we have received God's grace. Now Paul mentions two times here the glory of God and he says first of all that the glory of God is deposited in us like a treasure in a paper sack or a jar of clay. Paper sack is a good description, although uh, nowadays we don't really have paper sacks. But uh, God has put his, his treasure, his glory in a paper bag. You and I are that paper bag. And God has put his glory within us. Why? Because when someone comes into the house and sets a paper bag on the table and it has a big grease spot on the bottom, you know it came from a taqueria. You don't care about the bag. You want to know what's in the bag. Is it barbacoa? Is it carne guisada? God says, I put my glory in a paper bag so that people would not be fascinated with you, but they would look inside to see what is the glory inside this bag. What is the glory inside this life? And some people will say about us, there's something about you. I can't put my finger on it. I can't tell you the number of times I was, as an evangelist, I would check into a hotel in some faraway state where nobody knew who I was or what I did, and they would say to me, you're a preacher, aren't you? There's something about you. You could see it, can't you? When, you? when you're walking through the mall and you see a person, you just know that's a Christian. There's a glory in your life that draws people to God. But then the second time he mentions glory, it's a little less simple. He says the glory of God is revealed because we have been crushed and broken. But although we have been pressed, we have not been destroyed. He says God's glory in your ministry shows up at the breaking points. 
No, Pastor, you should have ended five minutes ago. Listen, God's glory in your life comes forth at the breaking points. I think that's why the psalmist said, the bones that you have broken will rejoice. Because you see, if I never had a broken bone, I'd have no testimony. If I have no scars, I have no story to tell. If I can't tell you about a day when I had no money, I didn't know what I was going to eat. And God provided that I don't have a glory to tell. But because I can tell you that there was a day when I didn't know where my next meal was coming from. And I decided to walk through Walmart and, a, and, a, and just look at stuff because I had nothing else to do. Why do we shop when we have no money? I don't get it. And a little old lady, a little widow, comes up to me and she says, Miko, aquí te tengo una ofrenda. And I took that offering and I ran to church's fried chicken. God had provided a widow to meet the need of his servant. Come on, somebody. God's glory shows, shows up at the breaking point. So if you say, God, don't break me, you're telling him, God, don't show your glory through me. Every crack, every break, every stretch, every tear, every place of wounding, every cut, every bruise is a, mar a marker for the glory of God so that that glorious anointing can flow through your life. And make his name Famous. God's glory deposited in a paper sack, revealed through the tears and the bumps and the bruises, so that Paul says these words. He says, We're persecuted. Pardon, we are per we are afflicted on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Because of the grace of God. And the glory of God. Would you stand with me, please? And come into this altar. Come into this altar if you know you have received a ministry. If you know there's a call of God on your life. Big or small, public or private, you know the call of God is on your life. I want you to come into this altar and just make this commitment to him and say, Lord, since I have received this ministry, I receive your grace. I receive the anointing that it takes to carry it out. I'm going to ask the elders to anoint you with oil tonight because from this day forward, you're going to walk in a new spirit. You're going to walk in a new anointing. From this day forward, there's going to be a new resolution in your spirit. 
Yesterday, you might have been ready to throw away your commission. But tonight, God says, hold on to that. Because he who called you is faithful. And he will bring it to pass. Come on, just lift your hands and lift your voice to God. Lift your voice to God. The anointing flows through you as you begin to open your mouth. Come on, open your mouth. Begin to pray in the spirit. Receive that anointing. Receive that anointing. Receive that anointing tonight. Let the glory of God shine through. That oil is coming upon your life tonight. Fresh anointing, fresh grace, fresh vision, fresh power.